Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. Searching His mind, we can always be sure our salvation will not be based on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ, 384 East Midway Road, White City, Florida. Bible study courses and personal teaching are available. We purpose to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's a lot of times when we study the Word of God that people don't understand what we talk about when we talk about shadows, types, antitypes, things which are coming and things which are not. And therefore, because of that, we lose them. These terms are elusive when not explained. When we talk about a schoolmaster, somebody says, well, I don't understand what that is. And therefore, the teaching that is given in that illusion or in that reference is lost. But when our eyes are opened and we are given ears to hear, it is amazingly simple what God is saying when we're not listening. A shadow is simply a form, a picture to show, as the scriptures say, good things to come. If you look at Hebrews, the 10th chapter and the first verse, it says, for the law was a shadow of good things to come. Now, if we understood what that said, then the confusion over whether or not we participate in obedience to the law of Moses in some respect as a command would be over. But because the word shadow is used or type or is talking about a form, we miss it. But the purpose of the shadow is to show, and I'm going to quote you the text again, good things to come. And they're not the very thing itself. The old covenant was being replaced. Might I say, all of the old covenant, all of it was being replaced. And it was ready to vanish away. Flip back with me to the 8th chapter and the 13th verse and you will see that the apostle writes in that he saith a new covenant he hath made the first old now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away how do you miss that when we understand that the image of that form represented is no longer going to be we will get the instruction See, an image stands for something that it itself is not. We salute the flag, most of us do. And the flag is representative of the nation. The reason we salute a piece of cloth is not because we like the colors, although we've learned to love those. It's because of what it represents. And the image that we have 
that we are representing as we understand that the old covenant is a shadow is Christ. Turn to the book of Colossians, the first chapter and the ninth verse. Paul, writing to the church of Christ at Colossae, says the very thing I'm speaking. He says, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The image is Christ, of which the Old Testament was casting a shadow or was showing in a form or was teaching by a representative that it itself was not or all the types in the shadows in the old covenant were pictures of what Christ would be and do when the real image came. Now there's a lot of people today that want to play English professors I don't know if you ever had an English teacher that ever talked to you about parsing a verb or not. Do you know what it means to parse a verb? P-A-R-S-E. It means to divide it up into parts, present, past, future, according if you're in the English. If it's in the Greek, you got more tenses. If it's in the Hebrew, you got far many more. But they believe that the Old Testament can be parsed. That is, they believe that only part of it was passing away. They'll tell you that the only thing that was abolished or done away or vanished or blotted out was the ceremonial law regarding the sacrificial system. And they sat back and smile and think, well, we won the argument because we made the statement. Well, what we want to find out is if it is parsed, that is, if the Old Testament is parsed, what part of it did Jesus fulfill? And if he didn't fulfill the rest of it, then it's still yet to be fulfilled. What part of it is disannulled? With God, according to his words, it's either all of it or none of it. Follow me again to the book of James, the second chapter. And let's look at verse 10. This is so plain and simple. It take help to misunderstand it. And there's plenty Seventh-day Adventists available. Look at verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. The laws of the Old Testament covenant are those things of which we speak. Where is it in the Ten Commandments does it give the Seventh-day Adventists the right to teach the law of unclean meats? Yet you can't get one of them to eat pork to save his life. But that's all right. They can invite me to their house. I'll eat all they got. Where is it that the law of unclean meats was ever taught in the Ten Commandments? Oh, it was given to Adam, kept by Noah, Job, and Abraham. But it was never taught in the Ten Commandments. Why teach the law of unclean meats if the Fourth Commandment is only the one that's the greatest? And by the way, as we discussed a week or so ago, which is the greatest commandment of the law? 
It's surely not to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. God, Christ, said, is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. Parsing? Can we split parts of the old covenant off from other parts? Can we pick and choose? Now, according to the Old Testament, you can't. Let's go back to the old covenant. In the book of Deuteronomy, if you will, the fourth chapter, and let's just run some verses. Deuteronomy 4, and let's look at verse 4. Moses, as he's speaking to the Jews gathered around him there, as he was beginning to become their lawgiver, says in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2, Ye shall not add unto one word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish, diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And I have to tell you that this was before Moses made his trip to Sinai. That's before anybody ever heard about it. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Moses had already given them commands. Look at the 12th chapter in the 32nd verse of Deuteronomy. I'll just run you two through three or four verses to show you that you can't parse. You can't split up. You can't make one part good and the other part bad. You can't say, hey, you can keep the ceremonial. I'll take the day. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 12 and 12, And ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God, ye and your sons and your daughters and your men servants and your maidservants, and the Levite that is within your gates, for as much as he hath no more part or no part in our inheritance with you. Where does this teach the law of God? Look at verse 32 in the same book of the 12th chapter. What thing soever I command you, observe to do it. Now tell me who the Levites were and are today so that I can say they don't have to obey this command. Look at the 12th verse again. I just want you to read this. Now we're in text and context so nobody has to get excited. But look at the 12th verse. It says the Levites have no part nor inheritance. I will find out if I'm a Levite. If I'm a Levite, ain't nothing in this for me. If there are no such things as Levites, I guess we got a problem. Because the 32nd verse of the same chapter says, What thing soever I command you, observe to do it. And thou shalt not add thereto, nor to diminish from. While you're there, go over to the book of Jeremiah, the 26th chapter. And you'll see that the prophet Jeremiah began to preach. And as he preached in the 22nd, 26th chapter, I believe it is, and about verse 2, in this he had to say the words that I'll read you just you and I, as we're studying here together, to find out what God has commanded. Listen. Thus saith the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak unto all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I command thee to speak unto them diminish not a word. And then we've worn out, and it's very familiar to everybody, Revelation 22, 18, and 19 as a text concerning the New Testament covenant. 
So it helps us to understand that we have to do everything in the law, not just a part of it. You can't parse it. You can't separate it. You can't say one part's good and the other part's bad. I want to know where the Levites are. I just need to know a few of these things so I can be obedient to the law. And then while you're in Jeremiah, there's a verse that's always bothered me when we were talking on this subject. Turn to the 31st chapter again and read with verse 31. Now again, this is a prophet, Jeremiah. This is the spokesman of the Lord that says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. What does that mean? Can we decide that God lied? This word new means altogether new. It's not a makeover. It was Jesus who said you can't put old wine in new bottles. I tried to get my wife to put a patch on an old pair of breeches the other day, which I thought was so comfortable. She said, throw them away. I said, why? Well, she said, first of all, if you put that on there, it'll tear it all around it, and it's going to be worse than it was to begin with. I threw it away. And I thought, you know, that's what the Lord said. If you're going to try to put an old patch on a new garment or a new patch on an old garment, look at what you got. And yet they try to say the Lord patched up the New Testament covenant by bringing the Sabbath day command in it. Then if you'll turn with me to the 2 Corinthian letter, the third chapter and the third through the 11th verses, I want to read you a treatise on the Old Testament covenant that everybody should listen to. If you ever run into somebody who's trying to decide whether they want to keep the Sabbath day, get them to read this chapter, 2 Corinthians 3. We're going to start just for the time in verse 3. For as much as ye manifestly declared, or ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of heart. Give us tables of stone. Does that ever ring to you? Does it? Okay. And this is a new covenant, not the one written on tables of stone? Does that? Okay, well, we'll keep going. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God who also hath made us the able ministers of a New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Now this letter, written in tables of stone, listen, verse 7. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. You know, if I was thinking... And this thing was written in tables of stone. It was a ministration of death, and it was to be done away. I think I'd catch on. He said, verse 8, How much shall the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by the reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away, I've noticed here in 2 Corinthians 3, it speaks it three or four times, done away. Do you not understand what done away means? What was all this glory business? Well, if you look at the 11th verse, he says, for that which is done away was glorious. Look at the 7th verse, for that which is done away. You know, when the tables of stone 
were mentioned, what part of the old covenant was written on tables of stone? The Ten Commandments. Well, now you had two other parts to the law of Moses. Were they written on tables of stone? No. They were written on papyrus. Not tables of stone. Well, the only one that's identified and specified is the one written on tables of stone. Does that mean the other two are still there? Does that mean to teach that the only one that God said to do away with, they said in resilience, I ain't doing what you say, God. I'm going to keep the one I want. Look, this phrase written on tables of stone, if you've got a pencil, I want to give you some help, is used 12 times in the Hebrew language. It refers every time to the Ten Commandments singularly and significantly. Twelve times God talks about that which was written on tables of stone. And it's mentioned two times in the New Testament. You ready? Here we go. Exodus 24, 12. Exodus 31, 18. Exodus 34, 1 in. Exodus 34, 4, Deuteronomy 5, 22, Deuteronomy 9, 9 through 11, Deuteronomy 10 and 1 through 3, 1 Kings 8 and 9. Now for our time, we're just going to look at one. Turn with me to Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter and the 13th verse. Because, you know, if we've got to get this table of stone, we've got to understand that of which we speak. In Deuteronomy 4 and verse 13, God says that he declared unto you his covenant which he made with you to perform even ten commandments. Now, friend, if you miss that, Ellen White can't help you either. There's nobody that could get that misunderstood. There were ten commandments that were written on tables of stone. And how do I know? Look at the next part of the verse. He wrote them upon two tables of stone. Although the ceremonial laws were not written on tables of stone, they too were done away. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 7 and 11. So don't talk to me about the law being kept on tables of stone and I've got to remember the Sabbath day because my God, not yours maybe, but my God says they were done away. And about four places in 2 Corinthians 3, done away, vanished, Diminished, gone, done away. Now, when it's given to you three or four times in one chapter, if all of us have this problem that they claim that some children have, which have an ability to not be retentive and listen for a long time, that'll even include us. Because within 11 verses, it's mentioned five times. That doesn't mean I have to be too retentive in order to get the message. Amen, Walls. And then he talks about a schoolmaster. Now again, this is an elusive term that people don't understand. The schoolmaster had a purpose. While you're in the New Testament, turn to the book of Galatians, the third chapter, and I want to show you what Paul, as he is inspired by the Spirit of God, said the purpose of the schoolmaster was. Verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, here it is, to make Christ put part of it in his law. Are you there? 
No, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. And faith is now come. Here it is again. And the law, or our schoolmaster, is no longer in existence. Look at verse 25. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Before Christ, the Bible says, Paul speaking, we were kept under. Now this phrase is in the Greek language, katakaleo, which means to lock up or imprison by a military force. We were locked up and imprisoned by a military force until Christ arrived. And the same word is used in verse 23, by the way, as that we were, before faith came, we were kept under the law. It was, we were locked up under sin. They who were locked up under sin were under the law. Paul writes to the Romans in the third chapter in the 19th verse that they who were under the law, who were locked up under sin, had a name. Now, this kind of bugs me a little bit, so I want to spend maybe a little time on this. And not to be offensive, I want you to understand. When speaking of the constituency of the law of Moses, God uses a word. This word is a sinner. When speaking of the constituency of the law of Christ, he uses a word. This word is saint. He never calls those in the gospel of Christ sinners. He calls us saints. He never calls those under the law of Moses saints. He always calls them sinners. Now that bugs me because people will say, you're a sinner just like I am. Oh, honey, I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint. Now, maybe you don't understand the difference between the two, but we'll get to define that a little bit. We were under the law if we were sinners. Now, listen to what Paul told Timothy. The law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, 1 Timothy 1 and 9. For the ungodly and the sinners. For unholy and profane. For murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. For manslayers. For which covenant were the participators called sinners? The covenant that was made by Moses. In Romans 3.23. For the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The law of Moses called the ministration of death used a term about its constituency that is not used about the saints of God. The Ten Commandments were never intended to give life. They were only intended to give a definition of sin. And unfortunately, they were written on the hearts that was as hard as the stone on which the commandments were given. As far as God was concerned, all the world was guilty before God and condemned. 
but the ones to whom he specifically retorted was the Jew. He used to say, well, I don't understand that. Well, now, okay, let me, let me help you out a little bit. You're still in Romans 3. Look at Romans 2. Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For when thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for that thou judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them that commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that thou judgest them which do such things and doest the same, thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God lead thee repentance? See, the gospel of the Spirit is not written on tables of stone. The gospel of the Spirit was written in the hearts of the children of God. In Colossians, the second chapter, the 16th through the 17th verses, Paul talks about these things, and he says that the gospel of Christ is written by the Spirit in our hearts so that we, being a part of the body of Christ, can understand the message of God. Listen, let no man therefore then judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. What do you mean body is of Christ? The saints are those who compose the membership that are in Christ. Animal sacrifices, physical circumcision, I won't talk about that too. The Ten Commandments were not designed for we, he says, that are in Christ. We're supposed to have started off better. We're supposed to have started off free from sin. We were supposed to have started off forgiven. They never even got to the starting line. We start as sinless as babies and stay sinless as we walk in the light, as he is in the light. We can then have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, can continue as it did at the beginning to cleanse us from our sin. As we walk in the light, we are walking according to the commandments of the New Testament, look, in John 12, 48, Jesus said, He that rejecteth Moses' words hath one that judgeth him. If you were listening to that TV program where he says, Bluh, that means, no, that's not right. Look at John 12, 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not Mohammed's words. Bluh. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not Ellen White's vision to the fourth heaven. Bluh. Third heaven, excuse me. Wrong heaven, Ellen. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words. Ah, oh, my friend, Jesus said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which Ellen White commands you? Luke 6, 46. I, I'm doing this for a purpose. Look at 646, Luke 646. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which Moses commands you? No. Jesus said, they'll come unto me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, we've cast out devils in thy name and in thy name done many wondrous works. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You never were a part of my covenant. 
Oh, they're going to come in and say, Lord, you know, we've been religious. We've been holy. We've been sanctified. We've kept the law. We've kept the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, wrong covenant, wrong place, wrong time. We have to keep the commandments of Christ. We're going to be judged by his words. We're going to be taught and instructed by what he said. The Sermon on the Mount was given in types and shadows as to a fulfillment and representative. The purpose of the sermon was to show that the first covenant was a shadow of the second. Now this parsing that they go won't work with the Sermon on the Mount. Six times, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said in old time. And he quotes either the Ten Commandments or the ceremonial or the civil law under the law of Moses. He doesn't say, I'm going to quote everything from the Ten Commandments because it's the only law we're going to keep. He takes two from one, two from the other, and two from the third. Six times you have heard it said of them of old time. It was all the same to Christ. It was all the law. The first two, you've heard it said, was of the sixth and the seventh command of the Ten Commandments. The last four concerned statutes and judgments. How did he stay, stray away from the Ten Commandments if they were the only ones to remain? Then the natural law of the Gentiles. The, de- the Gentiles kept the natural law. The Jew had the divine law. The Gentiles were not given this divine law. Somebody says, well, I don't understand the difference between natural and divine. Well, the natural law was the law that was given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That's where the tree of knowledge of good and evil stood. All peoples have always been consistently answerable to the law of nature, the natural law. But God had given the Jew a divine law or the beginning of such. And one of those things which he gave them was a law called circumcision. Heard of it? Think it's natural? Think all the people in the world have all done this? Was circumcision natural? The Jew thought because they had the Old Testament and had the truth that they were the law of God, that they had a form of knowledge. And part of that form was found in the Ten Commandments. There's no question. Part of it was found in the sacrificial or the Levitical part. Part of it was found in the judicial or the societal part. And because they had that form of knowledge which only part of it came from the Ten Commandments, they had a part of God or a part of divine law. And divine law was not natural. A real representative of that was circumcision. Now, when you have a form of the knowledge of the truth and you disobey that form, you understand that the word form comes from the word morphosis, morphosis, in the Greek language, and it's only used twice. And every time it's used, it has reference to the law of Moses because it was the divine law. 
The second time is used in 2 Timothy 3 and 5, that in the last days they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Oh yeah, God had already seen that there were people that were going to try to go back under the law. And it was a form of godliness because it was of the divine institutions of God's commands. But those who were physically circumcised to obey their schism were they who were told that God's law today would be no good for them. Galatians 5 and verse 2. If you're circumcised, you're fallen from grace. Christ hath no effect on you. You say, well, I'm talking about circumcision. Well, I am. Because the council of Jerusalem was not on the keeping of the Sabbath day. It was on the keeping of circumcision. To the Jew, circumcision was just as important as Sabbath day keeping. Paul was circumcised, and he tells the Corinthians that circumcision now profits you nothing. Somebody says, well, Paul didn't believe in keeping the commandments of God. Oh, you just didn't read the next part of that verse. Look at 1 Corinthians 7 and 19. Only, he says, the keeping of the commandments of God. 1 Corinthians 7 and 19. I'm sure I quoted it right. Let me turn over there right quick because I don't want to be misunderstood or confusing. It says here, but if you cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than burn. And verse 19 is where I'm going. Circumcision is nothing. An uncircumcision is nothing. What is everything is the keeping of the commandments of God. Don't tell me Paul wasn't a commandment keeper. Both phrases that is used concerning the law of God show us that the commandments that were given under the Old Testament law were not just those of the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I command you? What Jesus commanded was not under the law of Moses. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. The commandments that Jesus gave were not under the law of Moses. Now, I say, Well, Christ gave them to Moses. True, but the ones that Moses gave the law to weren't children of God. They were called, if you will please, sinners. We're called saints. Now, you may not like it, and you may think we're egotistical, and you may think that we're excited about ourselves, but it's what's written in the book. Circumcision was as much part of the Old Covenant as was the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are as a part of the law, as was circumcision. There is no scripture separating or parsing the law. It is the book of the law that God speaks about. It is the book of the law and the phrases that it represents were those who were a form of knowledge and truth, which neither Paul said, I mean, James says, and well, let's turn to Acts 15 chapter. I'll just show you. When Paul, uh, James was handing down the dictum from the Holy Spirit in Acts the 15th chapter, and the, I believe it's about verse 18. He says in Acts the 15th chapter and the 8th verse, I'm sorry, it says, And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. 
and purifying our hearts by faith. So why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? We have a new law. I don't think that even the Seventh-day Adventists demand that their people be circumcised physically. Haven't checked lately. Maybe Ellen's had another dream I don't know about. But I do know that she claims when she went to the fourth heaven, she saw it around the fourth commandment, and that's the only one we got to keep. And that she had more inspiration than any of the apostles because hers was the latter-day inspiration. The one she didn't get in Jerusalem, she got out of the sky around the fourth commandment when the apostle Paul and Peter and James got all theirs from Jerusalem when they were baptized from the Holy Spirit. She missed that day. She was short. She didn't come to class. She was able to give them a command that God said no longer effective. You can't bear it. Therefore, I won't command it. When we understand that you can neither nor we, our fathers, able to bear these commandments, God has relinquished, taken off, done away with, did without that law because it was only that which was a form held them in military confinement until Christ comes. But he said in Galatians 3, Christ has now come and that set of handcuffs has been taken off. So the Old Testament covenant was in shadow and forms. And we keep what we live in power and in might. That's the reason a member of the body of Christ can't come around the Lord's table and not know what he's doing, not understand what he's participating in, and sit there with his mind on what he or she's going to cook for lunch or what his children or her children are doing or act as though it's just a rote thing and that passes, yeah, pass that, don't mean that. Yeah, and they act as though there's nothing. Their heart's not in gear. Their mind is not in control. Folks, we have something that gives us power and might. Matthew 5 showed us that the Ten Commandments are a morphosis. That is a form of godliness. But they didn't have, under the Old Testament law, our covenant, the spirit and the power of godliness that Christ was here in the Beatitudes revealing for the first time. The schoolmaster had brought us to Christ. Christ is now here. The eyes, the types, the shadows, the forms, the Ten Commandments are now gone. They were the shadow of things to come. But the body, the church of Christ, that on which the shadow was casting to see and understand when it came, is now not just a glimpse. It's something you can put your hand on. It's something you can be a part of. The body is of Christ. In Matthew 5, Jesus superseded or improved upon or replaced with greater might to control the spirit of man, by the way, so that they who are part of the church of Christ could live godly in Christ Jesus. It wasn't a type or a shadow. 
It was something that would bring about reality. Because praise be to God, Christ will be in us, which is the hope of glory. Now you get to talking about the glory of the Old Testament law as compared to the glory of the New Testament law. Why, the glory of the Old Testament law was of such that when Moses gave it, he had to put something over his face so that people couldn't see that it was going to end. You think I made that up? Well, turn over again. I told you 2 Corinthians 3 is probably the greatest chapter in, in its entirety on the Old Testament law than any other law. Look at verse 2 Corinthians 3. And let's read verse 13. 2 Corinthians 3, 13. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was to be abolished. But their minds were blinded until this day, and remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Which veil is now done away. Nevertheless, when they shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Look at this done away, taken away, done away, taken away, gun, gone, finished. How do you miss that? All right, keep going. Now the Lord is the spirit. There's the life. There's the way of living. That's Christ. Christ is the image and the reality. He's no longer a shadow. He is. Christ has come. And in Christ there's liberty. Oh, yeah, we don't preach he that believeth and is baptized and is physically circumcised shall be saved. We don't teach he that believeth and is baptized and keeps the Sabbath day command shall be saved. We don't teach he that believeth and is baptized and eats certain meats, one of which is not pork. I don't know why they don't like pigs. Shall be saved. These things we've been freed of. We're at liberty. For in Christ we are at liberty. But verse 18, we all, that's all of us, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Ah, what's the glory of the Lord? Well, the glory of the law of Moses was bringing them up to a certain point to where when Christ came they could understand him and his commandments and his teachings. And that was a glory, because bringing them out of darkness into light was a great command. But oh, the light that he brought them to was not the sunlight, it was the moonlight. And when the moonlight shone, or showed itself, it was as the light was shining through and from the sun. Now the moon's taken away! And it's done away in Christ. So in Matthew, the fifth chapter, Jesus was showing the improved. He was talking about a law now that was not given to people in dotage or people who were sitting around just thinking that they could come to the church services and sit in the pew, and as long as they sat in the pew at the right building, they could be a servant of God. No, the message had to get inside, had to get in the heart so that they could be moved by the Spirit of God which will enable them to live the Christian life. Because God commanded us, be ye holy as I am holy. 
the physical is rejected. So no longer. No longer do we keep the Ten Commandments. Oh, somebody says that really bothers me. We don't have any commandments. You ever tried Matthew 5? He got two of them there at least. You ever tried first, the second Peter, the first chapter, the fourth through the tenth verse? You ever tried all these commandments that God has given in Ephesians 3 and 4? My next plenty of commandments there for you to obey. Ten commandments are gone. Physical circumcision. Gone. He is not alone. Paul writes in uh, Romans 2, 28 through 30. He is not a Jew which is one outwardly whose circumcision is of the flesh. He is a Jew which is one inwardly whose circumcision is of the heart. Whose praise is of God and not of men. We don't have a law that's built on or based on stone. We have a law that's built or based on the spirit of the living God. And the Spirit gives life. Where the circumcision and the keeping of the Ten Commandments only gave a definition of death. Because these are called the ministration of death. And as you have the ministration, it's the means of administering. This is how death was administered. And there was no way out. So somebody who tries to parse the Old Testament They're going completely against the message of the Old Testament and of the New. You can't take part and take the other part and leave it in there. It's not something that they say, well, that's a law eternal. I'll tell you about the law eternal. It's the law of nature. And everybody's always been a part of the law of nature. And a part of the law of nature did not involve circumcision or the Ten Commandments. So wherefore then serve the law? It was added until the seed should come to whom the promise was given. And it was ordained in the hands of an angel. And as this angel administered this law, it was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And it was given in types and shadows and forms. And there was truth taught in it, but not the truth that God would require of we who are to be called and are called saints. I don't know about you, but they always are talking to me about the book of Romans. Help me out a minute, will you? I want you to help me here. Romans 1 and verse 7. This verse bothers me. Here we go. Now, if I'm going to write you a letter and I put your name on it, then if your wife gets it, she ought to say, here, honey, Joe wrote you a letter, right? Or she ought to take that letter and read it and say, "Uh uh-huh, now I know what you and Joe are talking about. Well, she may not understand the terminology or verbiage we're speaking about. Every once in a while, David and I or Bobby and I get together and we talk about things. Linda, don't try to come up and figure out what she's talking about. She's got enough to do with what she's got to do with. But if you read my mail, you may not understand what I'm talking about. Are you in verse 7? I'm waiting on you, Romans 1. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be sinners. 
Do you know that the Baptists and the premillennialists and the Pentecostals and all these think that the book of Romans was written to sinners? So when it says, who shall ever call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, they think, well, that's all you got to do is get down on an altar and pray to Jesus. Look to who it's written. Verse 7. Called to be saints. Oh, somebody told me the other day, and I got to preach a sermon on this because I like this. I've been looking for this for years. I taught some people the truth, and they said, well, they'll never forgive you. I said, well, I'm not going to ask. Why do I have to ask to be forgiven for telling the truth? The truth's going to set you free. Don't expect me to apologize. I talked to a girl one time about 10 years ago. She said, you're going to make me hate you. I said, go ahead. Ain't my law, not my doctrine, not my truth. She didn't like the idea she had to be baptized to be saved. You're going to make me your enemy. I said, I add you to the list. Now, I don't want people to hate me, and I don't want to be on people's list. I don't mean that, but look, I can't, Paul says, do anything against the truth, save for the truth. And have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Don't expect me to apologize. The truth will set you free if you'll listen to it. I'm not trying to hurt people in denominationalism's feelings. I'm not out trying to make them mad. I want to wake them and shake them up and see that what they're doing is following a man-made, in this instance, usually a woman-made doctrine, and they are going to be caught short because they think they're going to stand at the judgment and be judged by Moses. Jesus said, the words that I speak in you, not the words that Moses speak. They think Moses is going to get them. And they're going to stand up there before Moses, and Moses is going to say, did you keep the Sabbath day? Honey, Moses is going to be lucky to be there, and will be, of course. But he'll be judged by the law in which he lived, as we're judged under the law that we live under. Oh, don't parse the Old Testament. You don't have the divine wisdom to do such. Jesus used it two in the Ten Commandments, two in the judgments, two in the statutes, and made them all even. The Old Testament was just a pattern to bring us to Christ, and it showed us glimpses of glory. But the real glory, or if you define the word, glory means that's what God ever intended it to be is in Christ. And when you repent and you're baptized for the remission of sins, you come into Christ. Oh, you may be a person who sins, but God never again calls you a sinner. Think of that. Now you're called a saint. Now unto the saints at Rome, if you're here and need to respond to the invitation of the gospel, Jesus commands still. And if it hurts your feelings, I'm sorry. These are commandments from the king. I'm not the king. The king said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. If you intend to go to heaven, will you come as we stand and sing? God be the glory. We hope you have profited from today's study of the mind of God. 
If you would like a tape of today's program, write to the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ, 384 East Midway Road, White City, Florida, 34982. Remember, never take man's word, only God's word. The Bible, demanding a book, chapter, and verse for everything you accept as belief. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of In Search of the Mind of God with Minister Joe Wilson. If you enjoyed today's sermon, read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pslchurchofchrist. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pslchurchofchrist. Or, if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m., as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., and you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week.